All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Just News. And happy Thursday. If Thursday feels like Wednesday and Wednesday felt like Tuesday, it's because the same show keeps playing out on the floor of the U.S. House. We still don't have a U.S. speaker. Kevin McCarthy still is losing the same 20 or so votes every vote. We're headed to vote 10 on Thursday afternoon. Think about that. 10 votes and Republicans have not yet picked a speaker. We're going to turn in just a second to my great colleague, Nick Ballasey, who's on the floor of the House. He's going to give us the very latest. But first, let me tell you who's coming on the show. We've got two great guests. We keep talking about how conservatives and Republicans have lost the mantle of fiscal conservatism. Well, one of the Jiminy Crickets of the fiscal conservative movement, our good friend, Grover Norquist from Americans for Tax Reform is going to be on the show. We're going to talk about how Republicans have lost it, where they're regaining it. There are some really exciting things going on in the states, like getting rid of income taxes. We're going to talk about how that's happening, even as Washington continues to spend like a group of drunken sailors. So Grover Norquist will get us started. And then later, a name you may have heard during the election last year, Hung Kao. He ran for a House seat in Northern Virginia, nearly won a blue district. He's a military veteran. Uh, he's doing lots of great things. He's also one of the great strategic thinkers on military and security issues. He's going to talk to us about all the things going on, started with the major loss of recruitment in our military armed services that began when Joe Biden took over. This is a big crisis. We're going to be tens of thousands of troops short next year of recruitment goals. That puts our national security at, at risk. And then there are these other issues with military readiness. Hunkow is studying this for the Polaris Security Group. For CACI, two of the biggest and most important voices in national security, he's going to join us in the back end of the show. But as I promised, let's go back to our good friend, our great colleague, Nick Ballasey. He's on the floor of the House right now where Kevin McCarthy keeps losing the exact same vote by the same margins. Nick, tell us how it's going out there. Yeah, you know, it's just uh, replaying over and over again. We're heading into the 10th ballot now. Uh, there, It looks like there was some support among McCarthy allies to at least try to get a motion to adjourn before heading into the 10th ballot, but it looks like they're going to head into the 10th ballot uh, very soon, as soon as we get the official tally from the 9th. Uh, so we're in the same situation, like you said at the top of the show, John. I mean, the, you have about 20 uh, conservatives uh, of the House Freedom Caucus, and they aren't budging. 
Uh, at this point, I saw a, a statement from uh, Matt Gates and other House Freedom Caucus members saying, at this point, there's nothing really McCarthy can offer. Uh, they have decided they're going to oppose him, and this could just keep replaying on and on again until we figure out what the breakthrough is or if there's a consensus candidate that can get the whole caucus in line. Uh, it's time will tell. That's the delay here, right? They don't have a consensus candidate yet, do they? It doesn't look like it. No, I mean, there was some chatter about maybe Scalise stepping in uh, if this doesn't work out. There was also a talk uh, before the speaker election even began about Lee Zeldin, who's not seeking the uh, chairmanship of the RNC. Maybe he could be a backup candidate. Anything, I guess, is uh, on the table right now, as you've Anyone who's been watching the floor can see there the conservative members are kind of floating different names. We have Byron Donalds up there. Uh, we've had we even had Matt Gates recommend Donald Trump as House Speaker. Now we know we know Trump wants McCarthy, but uh, for the readers and viewers who may not know, uh, it, the Speaker of the House doesn't actually have to be a member. That's right. He can be on the outside. Yeah, so maybe looking outside is something that needs to be considered. Actually, Brian Fitzpatrick, congressman from Pennsylvania, was saying if McCarthy keeps failing over and over again, he's a supporter of McCarthy's. But if he keeps failing over and over again, maybe they will have to look outside of the House because he doesn't think anyone in the caucus would even be able to get the support of a simple majority to uh, elect the speaker. It's amazing. Well, it's a drama that looks like it's going to go on maybe for the whole week, maybe into next week. And that is a remarkable thing. And, you know, the Democrats don't have anything to worry about. They can let this play out. They seem to enjoy it. I think yesterday, Kat Kamek made a kind of a sardonic remark saying they brought the popcorn blankets and alcohol. They love this. But the truth of the matter is because Mitch McConnell cut that deal, they've got all the spending they need. The government's not in danger. They can spend, spend, spend until the September 30th deadline. So Democrats are sitting pretty. They can just let this play out. Republicans are going to be the party that has to resolve this. And it looks like it might need some outside intervention, not only with an outside candidate, it might need someone like a Donald Trump or a Newt Gingrich to come in and say, hey, guys, we got to stop this. We got to break the logjam. Something has to give. Any sense that McCarthy's going to withdraw his name? Wow. I mean, that would be a huge development. McCarthy's been positioning himself for this for a long time, but it's possible. I mean, how long are they going to let this play out? As you mentioned, John, I mean, the headlines are are, uh, you know, all over saying chaos in the Republican Party. And the Democrats are sitting there voting consistently for Hakeem Jeffries every time, 212 votes. And they're just sitting back saying, this is the party that, you know, can't get it together. And I think heading into, you know, just looking forward, whoever becomes the speaker of this Republican conference has a difficult task ahead of them to get those conservative members in line with the rest of the caucus on on any issue, you name it, it might be a, a difficult time for any speaker uh, heading into this. So uh, we will see. There's a new name that popped up on the ballot for the first time. So most of the last two days, it's been Byron Donalds from Florida as the alternative, and he's fared well. But Matt Gates just threw in Oklahoma Republican Kevin Hearn, another one of the big conservatives. Any surprise there? Yeah, I think someone like Hearn is is a candidate who obviously the Freedom Caucus members support, but uh, going forward as a consensus candidate, I don't see him being the one, uh, the breakthrough candidate that can get this all together. But 
you never know. I mean, something has to be done. As we talked about on the show yesterday, John, concessions were the main thing, right? What was McCarthy going to give in on? Apparently, he's he's put a lot on the table. I heard from sources ahead of the And hasn't moved a single vote? Yeah, hasn't moved anything. Uh, he offered various things in terms of apparently seats for two Freedom Caucus members on the Rules Committee. Uh, he talked about uh, the amendments process allowing members regardless of what committee they sit on to be able to offer amendments which hasn't been done in a long time on the house floor that hasn't been enough and there's even involvement of a super PAC he supports saying they won't intervene in republican primaries going forward uh to you know undermine any hard right candidates that's been a concern of the house freedom caucus for a long time but apparently no matter what he's offering People like uh, Congressman Gates, they're not moving. They they see McCarthy as an establishment figure. They want somebody uh, fresh who can redo everything, it sounds like, mainly the makeup of the House and the way it runs and the way these spending bills in particular are put together and, and moved through the chamber. I think the last 24 hours took off the table the notion that there's a negotiated settlement between McCarthy and the, the rebels because after a significant amount of concessions, not all of the ones at the 21, but there are a lot in there, there hasn't been a single person that moved their vote. They've shifted around and you know voted for other people, but it's still the same 2021. And that seems to be sending a message to Kevin McCarthy that these 20 will just not accept Kevin McCarthy. So McCarthy has some options, right? He could try to get a bunch of Democrats to vote present or Republicans to vote present and see if he can lower the number. But this is a drama that seems to be stuck in one gear right now. Nick, as you look out and you've talked to a lot of these members, you've had some great interviews. You've caught some great moments on the floor. What is the sentiment, particularly among the 200 that know who they want for speaker? They want McCarthy. They don't like these other 20 messing around. They seem to be getting a little testier. They do. They seem to be because they want, you know, an end to this. They want consensus. They want to be able to move forward because in the end, they won the majority and they're supposed to be holding the Biden administration accountable. We've heard a lot about all the oversight investigations that Congressman Comer uh, wants to do. There's a lot they want to get started. And of course, the border is another one, the way the Biden administration is handling the border. I know they're going to dig into what's happening today. Apparently, the Biden administration is going to allow 30, up to 30,000 migrants to apply from their home countries instead of having them show up at the border. Well, we all know a lot of people are still going to show up at the border and they're going to do the 30,000 uh, uh, applicants uh, from their home country. So it could flood the system even more, cause a larger uh, uh, log jam. I know the Republicans are going to want to get right on top of that and investigate it and find out uh, what how, how this could uh you know, stop because I know that's something they've they've been against for a long time. Uh, but yeah, I I don't I'm not sure where this is going to end up. But I think those 200 they they see like Brian Fitzpatrick said, Congressman from Pennsylvania. I think the out outside of the House may be the only option to find somebody that could unite those 20 uh, defectors who don't support McCarthy and uh, rest of the caucus. I think that might be the only way forward, unless, like you said, John. He can lower the threshold, get more members to vote present, but uh, I don't think he's going to get that from the Democrats. They've been in lockstep with uh, Hakeem Jeffries every single vote, 212. They've got their guy. They're set. They just have to figure out how long they want to sit here. I mean, the Democrats could help McCarthy win right now. They could foil this whole thing because 40 of them or 30 of them could simply vote present, and then McCarthy could win on a less than 218 majority vote. 
It may just be that the Democrats get so tired, they decide, ah, I want to go home for the weekend, and they keep doing it. It's going to be very, very interesting to see where this plays out. It's hard to tell what Kevin McCarthy's endgame is, but I guess we'll find out at some point. Yeah, we're going to stay on top of it, for sure. Well, you're doing some great reporting. We appreciate it. We love having you at the top of the show. We get real news straight from straight from the scene, which is a real blessing for all of us. Keep up the good work. We'll send you some coffee and Red Bull so we can keep you up at night. But uh, thanks for the good work, my friend. Thanks, John. It's great to be on again. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Grover Norquist from Americans for Tax Reform, we're going to talk about the fiscal conservative identity of the Republican Party, what's right about it, what's wrong about it, what's at stake in this debate on the House floor. Right after this, commercial message. Hey, folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you audit your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you audit your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, Thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code 
Just News. Go check it out. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. As you know, we've been talking about the House speakership battle in a much larger conversation that what's really going on in the Republican Party now is a fight for the heart and soul of whether it's going to still be a fiscal conservative party. The last 20 years, Republicans have been aiders and betters in some of the grossest expansion of spending in federal agencies that we've seen in our lifetime. 83%, 83% of the nation's debt has been accumulated since George W. Bush took office in 2001. Republicans have had control of one-third, two-thirds, or all of the town for 70% of that time. So Republicans are involved in it. And these 20 holdouts, yes, they're trying to get a lot more than this, but their real core concern is that fiscal conservatism has left the Republican Party. Well, our next guest, he has been the conscious, the Jiminy Cricket on the shoulder of nearly every fiscal conservative in the Republican Party for more than a quarter century. He's our good friend, Grover Norcus from Americans for Tax Reform. Grover, great to have you on the show today. Absolutely. Good to be with you. There was a moment in December when Mitch McConnell cuts the $1.7 trillion credit card for Democrats, gives them the entire budget for 2023, that I realized that maybe something bigger was going to spin off from that. It wouldn't just be the recriminations and insults for Mitch McConnell, but it might have hardened the backs of some people who are just tired of these constant backroom deal, leadership-imposed monstrosity of spending bills. I know there's a lot of other dynamics going on in the House Speaker race, but talk a little bit about the fight for restoring fiscal conservatives and Republicans, because I think it's definitely one of the undercurrents driving some of these 20 players. Yeah. When, when one talks about the Republican Party, it's always important. The Democrats want to pick 10 Republicans who embarrass themselves regularly on television and say, that's the Republican Party. Uh, and that's not fair. Uh, and then some people go, oh, some of the Republicans have been around for a long time in the House and the Senate who are a little too easygoing on spending, and they represent the Republican Party. And um, here's the good news. Uh, since 1994, which is the first year that 96% of all the Republicans in Washington signed the pledge never to raise taxes. This is the pledge that Americans for Tax Reform has shared with House, Senate members, candidates, presidents, now governors, and state legislators. Since 1986, this was uh, something I put together with the Americans for Tax Reform was set up by Reagan and asked me to run it. And so we created the pledge saying, you know, if you stop raising taxes, there is a certain amount of debt that, that people can run up, but there is a limit to that too. And if you give them $100 million, $100 billion in more taxes, they will spend that plus more. Every time you raise taxes, the debt has gone up because the spenders say, let's see, they just gave us 100. I bet we could get them to give us more. So they spend ahead of themselves. Whereas when you say no to tax increases, you actually do rein in spending at the state level, at the local level, and at the federal level, even with the capacity to run uh, deficits. You still bring spending down from where it would be otherwise. And the Republicans have not faltered on that line in the sand. Taxes are not going up. And that is the beginning of the fight. Now, the second challenge is until you have 60 votes and can beat a filibuster, you can't fix entitlements. That takes 60 votes. And the modern, the modern Democratic Party. And that's a big ticket item, isn't it? Yes. The, the modern Democratic Party is not willing to cut or reduce any spending except defense spending. Um, and that and, and, and they certainly won't reduce entitlements. They sometimes talk about reforming them. In point of fact, when Clinton came in, 
All he did was increase welfare, not reform it. Only when the Republicans took the House and Senate did you get a reform in one program, aid to families with dependent children. So you've got this runaway spending cooked into the books. And if nothing happens, if, you, know, you don't have to pass any bills in order for spending to keep growing faster than we can afford because of the entitlement spending. So it takes uh, dramatic reductions in spending, which you could do through reconciliation, and we were within one vote. I, guess, I, I would give the, say one thing about the Republicans. Under Trump, the House voted, they did this four times, the House voted to block grant Medicaid and Obamacare uh, and some other welfare programs and say, we're just going to block grant to the states. It will not grow faster than inflation. And that alone saved a great deal of money going out into the future. Because if you just slow the growth of some of these entitlements, they're all growing faster than your income, faster than your take-home pay, um, faster than in inflation. Uh, so that's, that's a real problem. We've got to bring that down. And we got enough Republicans to pass the House, and we were within one vote. We lost by one vote, John McCain's vote. We lost the reform of entitlements. If we can come back with a presidency in both houses and block grant the entitlements, this is not Social Security and Medicare, people pay in for those, but all the things that they don't, we can save trillions of dollars over the years to come and bring the national debt back down literally to zero just by reforming entitlements so that they don't grow faster than inflation and you give them to the states. So the states, as we did with welfare under Clinton, when we block granted aid to families with dependent children welfare to the states, the average state saved 30%. And they kept that money in it to be able to do other things with. But Washington was, was paying less out than it used to. So that is the only escape uh, from this treadmill we're on. Uh, yes, you can cut domestic spending or military spending, one-time spending, but that's a very, it's worth doing, it's worth doing, it's worth doing, it's worth doing. But it is a small piece of the problem, not, if you do only that, you're nowhere. But if you do that, plus reform entitlements, and I think the only way to do it is you can't rewrite entitlements out of Washington. You send them to 50 states and say, here's some money, you do homeless people stuff, okay? And some states will say, you gotta be a citizen. Some states will say, we expect you to show up at nine o'clock to work and do something if you're going to get anything as a, as a homeless person, you know, and, and I think you'll find what works, what doesn't work. 50 experiments is the way to find out what would be better and what costs less. And then even the lazy states will begin to follow the more competent states. And it's what our founding fathers intended. Federalism states were going to be the laps of great ideas, not Washington. And so I want to get to that in a second because there are some really exciting things going on in Republican states around this country. But I want to just talk about the brand for a second, the Reagan-Goldwater fiscal conservative brand. Because most Americans I talk to don't associate Republicans any longer with fiscal conservatism because they just keep seeing the spending deals. They hear the 1.7 trillion in December. They hear, they see the size of the Homeland Security Department created on George Bush's watch. They say, well, wait a second. You guys are complaining about that censorship that occurred at Homeland, but you created that department. You created that FBI. You allowed it to expand. How do Republicans reclaim the mantle of fiscal conservatism, not just in rhetoric, but in action? Because there's a brand gap now. The polling shows it. 
everyday people, when I go out into the real world, go to Wisconsin, Michigan, like <laughs> Republicans are just as bad as Democrats when it comes to spending. How do they fix that dynamic? Okay. The lazy way to fix it is to just stand still, don't do anything, and point to the outrages that the Democrats engage in. <clears throat> that, however, doesn't solve the problem very quickly, and the uh, with enough advertising, the left can cover that. Okay, they can go, they and and the establishment press also covers for the Democrats on that. So, being less horrific than the Democrats, um, I, I don't know, is, is, is probably good for points in heaven, but it isn't going to win elections. Not going to turn things around. Uh, one of the ideas that Republicans are talking about that I'm very excited about, uh, Scalise has talked about it, is recreating the Anti-Appropriations Committee. This is the committee to combat unnecessary federal expenditures put in during World, during World War II. And all this committee did, it was a bicameral commission or House and Senate guys on it, was they recommended budget cuts. And so that is how the, the Works Projects Administration uh, was cut in half one year and then abolished the next. That's how the Civilian Conservation Corps, um, which today would have three million teenagers out <laughs> um, you know, doing environmental stuff or something, um, uh, if it still existed. Uh, you should take people out of the national parks and have them build stuff. Um, and it'd be a you know, huge works project or something. It, it was cut in half and disappeared. Uh, during the first years of World War II. So this is a commit, this is a uh, federal uh, part of Congress, Congressional Committee, that existed in the past, saved about $40 billion in, in uh, uh, today's dollars, uh, and could be brought back, and I hope will be brought back by the Republicans, because then what would happen is every week on the nightly news, they would have to cover the Republican-led committee has just offered to cut these, and then they just voted for it, and the Democrats can vote for it or against it, and then you'll see a real distinction between the parties. That's a real brilliant idea, and it's exactly the sort of fresh idea that Washington needs right now, and it's great to see that Steve Scalise has set that in motion. Real quickly, how does the Kevin McCarthy saga end? Do you think there's a deal he gets in? There's no deal and he gets out. Where does this end? Because obviously every day spent on this is a day not spent on doing the business that American people sent the Republicans to do in the House. Yeah. I, first of all, there, there are 200 Republicans who say we're perfectly happy with. 90%? And there's 20 guys, less, a little less than 10%, who have different arguments. Okay. And I would separate them out. There are some that just don't like him personally. One complained that he didn't call him to congratulate him when he got what is primary soon enough. Uh, and he hates them and says, I'm never voting for him. Well, I'm not sure you can fix that. But, um, and, and, but, but then there's some others you go, well, I have this thing that I'd like, but I can't pass it through the Congress. I don't have other Republicans supporting it. I mean, any of the things that they're, people are demanding of uh, Kevin McCarthy are things that 50% of the Congress could, could do, right? They could say, I want that. So they're asking for things that they haven't done the work to convince their fellow members that they're important. So my, my objection is not, I think some of the things that they're asking is very good. Well, I guarantee of a vote on term limits and a guarantee of a vote on uh, a couple, uh, on uh, how you, each appropriations bill has to be voted on separately, not in one big package. I think those are great ideas, okay? Um, but why weren't they out 
I never got a call from any congressman saying, could you endorse this package? Could you do a letter? Could you speak to the, I want to talk to the Wednesday meeting and tell everybody about this project I've got. They, they sit in their room and they talk to four members that are their friends. They think it's a great idea. And then when everybody, when they toss it out as an idea and not everybody goes, we plan to drop everything else we're doing to do your project. Um, they get mad and then they say, but I bet we could twist somebody's arm when he needs five votes. Um, so I'm not happy about the timing and the mechanism they're using. My preference is Jack Kemp. Jack Kemp's supply side economics has cut the tax rates by a third, went member to member, went out to the Wall Street Journal and to those publications that would cover it. And he gave a thousand speeches a year on the subject for a decade. And then he changed the world. He changed the world. But if he sat down with five other congressmen and said, let's wait until the Republican leadership needs our votes, and then we will scream and demand that you have to do X, which nobody's been prepared for, I'd much rather that people learn, congressmen and senators. Again, some of the things they want to do, I I look at, that's great. Have you explained this to everybody? No, we'll just bring it up now. Um, Well, and, and, and people aren't willing to drop everything, like a scheduled election in order to accommodate your list of things that you'd like to do that you never mentioned to them before. Uh, people have a feeling that once they've told people something once, that they must have heard it. You know, Ronald Reagan gave the same five speeches during his campaign again and again and again because the audience is different each time. The audience is different each time. And until you hear somebody say something two or three times, you're not sure if they mean it. <laughs> um, or they really believe it, or they this is just a project they were thinking of, but they're not really doing. So I would strongly recommend that anything that, that some of the 20 guys, the ones who aren't just voting on, at a peak, uh, would like to see done, you know, start talking to people about it. Do talk radio and not whining if a leadership hasn't done your project. You know, you do your project. <laughs> Make your project so exciting that someone will steal it from you and do it when you're not looking. That's called winning. Yeah, no, it is. And, and one of the things that Republicans have done much more poorly in the last 10 years, and Democrats have done much better to great extent, now they have the help of the mainstream media, is owning the narrative. In the 80s and 70s, 80s and 90s, Republicans owned talk radio, Fox News, direct mail, and they created the narrative, they owned the narrative, and that's why they won so often. Liberals have really owned the narrative of the last seven, eight years, certainly things like Russia collusion and demagoguing on so many issues, but Republicans have to learn the art of how you set and own a narrative and see a narrative through to it becomes action. And that's one of the great opportunities that this new Congress maybe can give us if it can ever get past this leadership battle. Um, while Washington still has its gridlock and <laughs> epitomized by the, the battle of uh, McCarthy right now, there is some really extraordinary uh, experiments going on state. We've been lucky to have Kevin Stitt on the show and, and, um, Christy Nome and uh, Ron DeSantis. And, and there are amazing governors doing amazing things. Glenn Youngkin is doing a lot of great things. I think our founding fathers always expected the best ideas would come from the states, not from Washington. What gets you excited in the states right now? There are eight states with no income tax. People know them, Florida, Texas, Tennessee. People are moving there. There are eight states with a single rate tax, like, oddly enough, Pennsylvania and Illinois. Um, And there are five states that in the last two years have voted to move to a single rate tax, Arizona, Idaho, uh, Mississippi, Iowa, and Georgia. Uh, 
And there are 10 states that are in the process of moving their personal income tax to zero, okay? So you have in the red states, every red state is, is cutting its income taxes except Alabama, um, but all the others are cutting their income taxes, or if they don't have an income tax, cutting some other tax. And North Carolina is a few years away from having zero income tax. New Hampshire will have zero income tax. They're getting rid of their tax on dividends and interest over the next three years. Uh, it's a 12-year march now for Kentucky to zero. Uh, Louisiana is on a 15-year phase down to zero. Mississippi is a third of the way through what they say will be a 10-year march to zero, 10, 12 years. Uh, Arizona's gone to 2.5%. They lost the governorship, but they're going to keep going uh, from 25 down to zero. Uh, I mean, there's some very real uh, – Idaho – I'm sorry, Idaho's – gone to flat rate tax. They haven't announced zero. But our friends up in North Dakota um, are committed to going to zero. The governor's a real hero up there. Uh, Burnham going to uh, zero. Iowa, the 8.6% top rate, down to 3.99 single rate over the next four years. And then the governor, the House and Senate say, we're then going to zero. So we're really looking. Uh, Wisconsin has two-thirds, almost two-thirds in both houses. They may be able to pass a phase down to zero over the Democrat governor's objections. They're so strong in the legislature and committed to going to zero. So we're seeing real competition take the income tax and other taxes down towards zero. And the blue states, California, New York, New Jersey, they had governors stop tax increases on the top rate, saying, guys, guys, you legislators out there, you can't do this to me. People are leaving in droves. Uh, so when we've stopped the bleeding in some of the blue states on taxes because of the states with no income tax and low flat rate taxes and the states that are moving in that direction. School choice. Uh, the, the best one now is Arizona, which wasn't uh, uh, didn't have a statewide. Nobody saw that coming. Yeah. Uh, anybody? Of any, it's a big, big experiment. Any income level. You can get school choice, $6,000, $6,500 per child, homeschoolers, Catholic school, Protestant school, non-religious school, private school, public school, the public school of your choice, homeschooling. All of this is available to you. They passed this uh, for everybody who earns less than $80,000 in New Hampshire. Now they're going to take it up to twice that income level, so more people have access to it. Uh, uh, our friends in Iowa are looking to do this, and Virginia, the, almost all the people you mentioned, sit in uh, Oklahoma. These are tremendous steps in the right direction, and liberalizing things so that kids can get a better education, and governors, the next governor is going to be the Republican who moves to zero on the income tax and full school choice. Pretty remarkable moment in federalism in action, states' rights in action. The big difference in the state, too, is one of the great things. When when a state cuts its income tax or eliminates its income tax, it reduces its spending and they live within their budget. There's very few states. Obviously, blue states are not that way, but red states live within their budget. In Washington, we've had some amazing tax cuts over the years, right? The Bush tax cuts, the Trump tax cuts, but spending has never gone down. And take entitlements off because obviously entitlements is the big banana we got to do. How do Republicans start to get to that point? Uh, you mentioned the committee. I love that committee idea that Steve Scalise is trying to revive from the 40s. 
There's the Hallman role that Kevin McCarthy has committed to, which is voting the budgets away for recalcitrant bureaucrats or agencies that don't follow Congress as well. Do you think there's some other ideas? And is there a will now? Do you, do you sense now that there is a will to start saying, enough of the spending, we're cutting it? Oh, well, the answer is there clearly is. Here is the challenge. We need to, I remember the conservative leaders had a press conference in uh, mid-November, the year Reagan got elected, before he was in office, denouncing him as a sellout because he hadn't done everything yet. He, hadn't, he wasn't in office yet. Uh, and there is, a, there is a challenge because let's say the Republicans in the House can not only pick a speaker, but can agree to 218 votes together to negotiate against the president. Okay. Well, you're not going to get the budget you want. You, the goal is to get a budget much closer to the one that you want than the one Biden wants. Uh, but you're going to have to ask 218 people to vote for a budget that's icky. Okay. Uh, not as, because the alternative is massively problematic, uh, as opposed to just too big. Uh, and we need to make sure that we don't, that we stop laws and programs that become self-growing, self-contained, self-populated you know, structures that just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, and in the, in the Senate, we don't have uh, uh, the votes uh, in the Senate to pass anything. We do, can filibuster. We can filibuster. We can filibuster. So we, we, can not, we can pass something good, maybe, if the 218 get together. This is, this is the trick. If you've got four people who said, you know, it's not perfect, we don't want it, that then you don't have 218. You have no power at all. Okay. And that happened to us the first couple of votes when we fought with Obama. You had a handful of uh, Freedom Caucus guys, that zone, which said, well, this is not a perfect budget. No, it wasn't. And so they voted it down. Then the House played no role and the Senate came up with something. Uh, and the Senate and the president got together and they did it. And then the House was irrelevant. Then later the House did decide how they could get up to 218 for for better, th good things, but you know, not perfect things. Uh, and that's when we took $2 trillion out of what Obama planned to spend in the next 10 years. But it took the discipline of saying, getting $2 trillion out is not everything I want. And you know what we had to trade for that was the higher debt ceiling. Um, but we did get the $2 trillion in less spending. That was real. That changed the world. Uh, can we do singles and doubles? Not everything being a, a home run. And can we hold our nose and vote for okay or bad, but not evil, um, and recognize that if you stop the bleeding and don't create new programs, a little bit of wasted money, as awful as that is, may be a small price to pay for permanent reforms. Uh, during Obama, they, they wanted to raise, yeah, we gave him $80 billion in spending because he wanted it for defense and some other stuff, in return for which we got three point three trillion dollars in net present value reductions in Medicare way out into the future. And, and, and some of the people were complaining about the 80 billion said, wait a minute, we traded 80 billion in one-time spending for permanent reductions worth 3 trillion net present value if, if you had given them all today. That's the kind of deal that we're going to have to be able to make and explain to voters that you actually just dramatically reduced the debt and spending of the United States. 
Grover, there's two numbers I always keep an eye on. I always keep an eye on the national debt because it is something we should all be concerned about. It's closing in on $32 trillion. But there's another one because it started right when I came to Washington in the early 90s. Just remind us how many politicians have signed the Taxpayer Protection Pledge over those, what, 29, 30 years now? Yeah, um, we have about we have uh, about 90% of all the Republicans have signed the pledge never to raise taxes and kept it and kept it. Uh, the good news is since... 94, when the Republicans won control of the House and Senate, no tax increases passed if the Republicans had either the House or the Senate. So either one has been able to stop any tax increase at all. Now, when the government was House, Senate, Democrat control of Congress and the president under Clinton, he raised taxes. House, Senate, Democrat under Obama, he raised taxes. House, Senate under uh, Biden, he raised taxes. And each of them lost control of Congress after the next election. So, um, but the D's, given power, will raise taxes, but that is the only time the taxes can be raised is when the Democrats control everything, which is why step one is elect Republicans. Step two is talk to them regularly and remind them to focus on spending restraints. It is truly remarkable. I, I, I was on the site a couple of days ago. 43 of the Senate Republicans, 180 of the House Republicans, 188 of the House Republicans, 16 Republican governors currently in office. These are people that actually hold the power. They've all signed that pledge. That's a pretty impressive record. There's very few people that have achieved that. It's always a fun thing to keep an eye on. Grover, it is a great honor to have you on the show. You always bring wisdom and common sense in an era of insanity in this great town. I really enjoy having you on today. Thank you so very much, John. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey, folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. 
All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. Last fall, I got to see this man in action. He was running for Congress in my own district in Northern Virginia, and he made an impassioned argument for all the principles that conservatives stand for. And he really had a vision, not only for economic security, but for national security. He joins me right now. His name is Hung Kao. Hung, great to have you on the show. John, what an honor. Thank you so much. It's my honor. I really enjoyed your campaign for Congress. And you were running in a blue district, came so close. But I think you drove in so many different ways a dialogue that so many Americans believe hasn't been had in this country about what's going on with our security. We're taking it for granted. We're eroding it through woke policies and through excessive spending. And I saw so many heads in Prince William County and elsewhere nodding when you would talk and when you would speak and when you give speeches. And I want to ask you a little bit. You served in the military. You have this extraordinary grasp of what's going on in the military. Many people are worried about recruitment and what's going on there. Tell us the real story of why military recruitment is down so much right now. Well, I think it's all the wokeism um, that's going on in the military, the ideologies that they're pushing. I mean, you got to understand that the military is not a social justice experiment. This is a lethal machine, right, that's designed to deter our enemies. And if we can't deter them, then we need to defeat them, uh, you know, pretty bluntly. And right now, the Army last year fell 25% short of its recruiting uh, goals, which is 15,000, less than that they they needed to recruit last year. But the Navy uh, barely made it, and the way they made it is they brought in the delayed entry program, so people that would come in after October 1st, because the the, uh, military fiscal year goes from October to October, they brought in all those people early, which is going to cause a problem now, right? I mean, it's almost like uh, pay now or pay later. Well, they just... They just took it uh, uh, for the 22 just to make the numbers, but now we're going to be hurting in 2023. With recruitment and with some of the focus that we've seen on woke policies, we're more worried about pronouns and maybe the military readiness. There's been some real warning signs in some of the armed services about military readiness. Tell us a little bit as you study this and dig into some of the issues that you do as a senior advisor at Polaris National Security. What are some of the red flags you see in the preparedness, military readiness of our troops right now? Well, first of all, when you have a secretary of, uh, I'm sorry, not secretary, but you have the uh, chairman joint chief staff who wears makeup, you know, and and he's worried about, was it uh, white uh, rage or whatever it is. And we have ships in the Pacific, the the USS. uh, McCain and the USS uh, Fitzgerald, who had major collisions, and then we had a near collision in the uh, just in San Diego alone between USS Momsen and uh, USS uh, Harper's Ferry. That's th- th- that's indicative of a military that's not prepared to to get underway to deploy. I mean, we had accidents with Marines, you know, killed a bunch of Marines uh, with a uh, an amphibious assault uh, vehicle that that flipped over. Um, you know. We we need to get back to basics. We need to train these young men and women to fight, not to look at pronouns. Yeah, there's no doubt. You served in the Navy. You know the men and women that join and fight on our behalf and keep us safe so that we don't have to lay awake at night worrying about our security. The vaccine mandate seemed to have a really significant impact, particularly when the military simply didn't acknowledge some of the religious objections and other legitimate concerns that people had. How has that played out, not only in recruitment, but in the people who are serving and in those who we had this terrible brain drain because they got kicked out of their service? What's been going on with that, hon? So I have very close friends who got kicked out because of the vaccine mandate. I had a young man who 
who was one of my sailors. He came up, uh, he was like the top deep sea diver in, in the, uh, uh, in the Navy. And, and he, you know, he did a lot of what's called saturation diving that's going beyond, uh, like, uh, depths that, that, you know, bone crushing depths, you know, like, uh, you're using 2% oxygen. Yeah. Uh, 2% oxygen and 98% helium going down a thousand feet. And he, he's getting, you know, so he came to me, he was promoted to uh chief petty officer. And then, and then I got him commissioned into, as an officer, he serves brilliantly and, and uh, they, he refused a vaccine mandate. So what they do is they sideline him from jobs that he wants to do. So he was forced to, to really retire because they basically, there's no upward mobility for him. And what they, uh, what they did is, well, you, you know, you, since you didn't serve 10 years as an officer, you're going to revert back to enlisted. But because he was a, a, he was not a chief petty officer in E7 for three years, he had to revert back to E6. And, you know, it's just so now he went from 03 uh, to E6. And then I also had another uh, classmate from the Naval Academy who was the top uh, uh, commodore. So the, the commander of a uh, air wing uh, in the East Coast. And, you know, he he had COVID. And he, uh, so he has natural immunity. They drew his blood and they tested his immunity against his flight uh, surgeon who had, was vaccinated and boosted. And he had twice the amount of uh, immunity that his flight surgeon had, but they still kicked him out. And so in a time, like I said, when we're, we're short of, of military personnel, they're kicking out good people. There's eight people, eight young midshipmen at the Naval Academy right now that are, uh, whose careers are hanging on the balance because they don't want to get the, the vaccine. And so as a young person coming into the military, why would I want to go into a military that would turn their back so quickly on my core values, which is God? I've heard so many of these stories over the last year and they're mind numbing. And meanwhile, a military short of people and skills are losing it for a reason that doesn't make much sense to I think most Americans. It's, it's pretty incredible. With all of the unusual things we've imposed in the military, the woke agenda, the pronouns, the vaccine mandates, there was this incredible moment in the summer where a movie from Hollywood celebrated not all the wokeism in military, but what military does best. Top Gun Maverick just took off. And I wonder, have you seen an impact? I've heard you say that the original Top Gun movie inspired you. Do you think that this movie gives parents a chance and an opportunity to share why you should consider public service, military service, and, and has it done some good for the services in spite of their own silliness? Absolutely. So, you know, just like in the 60s, we had uh, shows like uh, Lost in Space and Star Trek to, to invigorate the youth to science and technology for the space program. In the 80s, we had Top Gun. And, you know, with uh, Top Gun 2, you know, it, it really invigorated, you know, that toxic masculinity that the left likes to talk about. That's what drives us, right? I mean, that's what that's what we want our military men and women to be. They they want we want them to be meat eaters, not not a bunch of leaf eaters. Yeah, exactly right. And that was an amazing movie, and people I think just got inspired and reminded of how great our military is. I remember in the 1990s as a young reporter covering a lot of the China fundraising scandal that plagued the Clinton administration and the loss of some of our nuclear designs to China. We know our enemies are constantly out there trying to steal our designs and our innovation because they're not as smart and good or innovative as we are. There's been a really concerning set of reports recently that a large number of American parts have been found in some of the Iranian drones that are being used to attack our allies in Ukraine. How concerning is it and what mitigation strategies do we have to make sure that enemies like Iran don't get our parts going forward. No, you're right. We need to ensure that our, our supply chain security is, is up to snuff. I mean, how can they allow 
allow a an Iranian shell company to buy all all of our technology. But really, let's let's walk backwards here. How did they have the money to buy all that? Because two years ago, under the last administration, Iran was on the brink of of economic downfall, and they couldn't afford all this. But when Joe Biden came in and he lifted all the sanctions and he eased all the uh, the pressure for them to not uh, the Iranians not to build a nuclear uh, uh, you know, program, it brought in billions of dollars that they're able to buy this, uh, our, our technology on the black market. And now uh, the Iranian, you know, with the nuclear deal that Biden wants to provide, the Iranian regime is going to get $1 trillion over 10 years. So that's a lot of, you know, funding of terrorist acts and, and also, you know, basically destroying Israel. That's what their, their goal is, has always been. And so it's very discerning that, that we allowed Iran to have this buying power to buy technology that's ours. Yeah, such a great point. And we've got to keep that. The, the linkage is so clear in the potential concern and devastation that these Iranian drones are doing to our Ukrainian allies is pretty extraordinary. Let me finish, Ahang, because you've spent a lot of time working on strategy in the big pictures. You have these extraordinary positions that really get the moment to think about how we make ourselves stronger. We're in the midst of an eight or nine month war now where we're watching Russia. It's a proxy war between us and Russia over Ukraine. We're funding it by the tune of billions of dollars. The Russian military has proven itself to be far less superior than I think we thought. But how do we get to an end game? Our president hasn't really defined victory for us, but what is the end game that we should try to get out of this? And how do we get to that end game quickly and safely? Well, let's remember, first of all, that China and Russia are strong allies. I mean, uh, when this all happened, before this all happened, Russia moved all of their troops out of the uh, Chinese and Russian border all the way to uh, all the way out west for them. Um, and so anything that happens to, to Russia is also going to impact China as well, since they're strong allies. So we've been able to defeat really the, the Russian military without putting boots on the ground in uh, Ukraine. And we did that by sending them our uh, weapons, our weapons stockpiles, you know, really stuff that's starting to age out. But uh, and then the money that we're getting is now going to replenish some of our, our next generation weapons. Um, and so that's the, the end goal really is to to if if Ukraine loses in this deal, and this is why we don't rush to to uh, failure. If if Ukraine doesn't uh, loses, then then you, there's no U Ukraine left. But if Russia loses, all they do is they go back to where they were at the beginning of this, which is back to their own borders. And so there's really a, a kind of a, not, not a, it's a lose win. So either way, if, if Ukraine loses, then, then there's no Ukraine left. And that's, that's a non-starter. But if Russia loses, then all they are is they're going back to where, where they started. And so it's not really a total loss for them, except loss of face for Putin. Would your advice be to any president, let's get the borders back to where they are, that Ukraine's made enough progress now that I think that that's an objective goal. I think early on, President Biden, you know, he was telling uh, President Zelensky, bail out, I'll get your flight out of there. Zelensky and his soldiers have dug down and really proven that they could fight well. Uh, now that they've got some momentum, uh, the right thing is to get a peace deal that restores their territorial integrity, right? Yes, they've returned, they've gotten back 54% of what they lost. And so we just needed to, again, we don't want to go to an endless war, but we want to make sure that they get back to their borders and, and just maintain the status quo right now. It honestly, on a national defense side, it's allowed us to test a lot of our weaponry too. 
And so it's uh, it's kind of uh, a proving ground for us without losing American lives as well. I mean, I my heart goes out for every Ukrainian soldier that that's, uh, died on the battlefield. But, um, you know, we, we have not sacrificed any American lives so far. Yeah. And one of the great things in watching the Ukrainian people fight is you see the passion they have for freedom. And we sometimes take it for granted because our military has been so good with guys like you protecting us on the front lines. But when you see a people fighting for freedom and the stakes really are life and death, it is inspiring to know that freedom drives people to great heroism and to great accomplishment. And that's what I think the Ukrainian people have done for this entire world to remind us that liberty is worth fighting for. For all the work that you're doing at CSEI, at Polaris, what's the best way for people to follow it? I love the work you do. I love the clarity of vision that you have for security. What's a good way for people to stay in touch with you? Well, uh, I think our, our Twitters are, are still going. Hung Cal for uh, uh, Virginia. Uh, our, our, yeah, our, our Twitter feeders are still, uh, the Twitter and, and uh, Instagram, I think, still going, as well as our our. Um, um, we're going to actually launch a uh, super PAC pretty soon because the idea for Virginia is we have to get back to the state Senate and the uh, uh, delegates in order to for Governor Youngkin to make any headway. So we're launching a uh, super PAC uh, this month, um, and it's going to be called Unleash America. It's to find conservative uh, uh, elected officials who will limit government in order to allow for for Virginia and for the United States to thrive. Right. We just need to get government out of the way and let it, the Americans uh, thrive the way they know how through innovation and, and uh, really persistence. And that's that's what the American spirit is. And we talked about spirit uh, earlier about you know, the Ukrainian fighting spirit. Well, the Americans fighting spirit is even greater. Don't forget that we liberated the world twice in two world wars, you know, and, and when the wars ended, we beat those uh, uh, swords back into plowshares and we rebuilt the country. And so this is the greatest country in the world. And we just need to let Americans be Americans. Yeah, that's exactly what it needs to be. That's an amazing thing. Well, it's a great honor to have you on the show. I really enjoy the work you're doing. I can't wait to get you back on real soon. Huh? Thank you, John. You have a wonderful day. You as well. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after these messages. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Justin News. So grateful you could join. So grateful that we could get that update in the middle of the show from our great reporter, Nick Ballasy, on the floor where Kevin McCarthy is headed towards defeat and his nomination effort to be speaker. 
10 votes, and Republicans have not yet picked a speaker. Now, one reminder, a lot of people say, hey, John, do you have an app at the Just the News? And the answer is, we sure do. Not only do we have an app, it's in the Apple Store, it's also in the Android Store. It allows you to take the Just the News experience and go in three different ways. You can watch our videos and television shows. You can listen to this podcast and many others like it, like Victor Davis Hanson, or you can read the stories that we do a day, 50, 60, 70 stories a day of the breaking news, investigative reporting, accountability reporting. Go to the iOS app store or the Android store today. Download the Just the News app. Read, watch, listen. Three great ways to experience the Just the News content and to join the Just the News family. And if you really want to get involved with the family and say, hey, I want to support your investigative reporting, John Solomon. I want to support the great reporters and the producers and the bookers and everybody that works to make the Just the News experience possible. You can do something really inexpensive that makes a big difference. All you got to do is join the Just the News VIP club. That's right. What do you get for the VIP club? First off, ad-free experience on the website and on your newsletters. No ads, no dancing videos, no autoplay videos. An ad-free experience on Just the News 24-7, plus once a month you get to hang out with me at justthenews.com. We have a town hall. I sit and answer your questions for an hour. We talk about issues you care about. We cover topics that the other media aren't covering. It's an incredible experience to join the family the immediate family of the Just the News team. Great opportunity. Sometimes we bring in our reporters. It's always a delightful time. If you want to get involved in that, go to justthenews.com slash subscribe. Justthenews.com slash subscribe. Quick way to get into the club. It's $4.99 a month, $44.99 a year. Great way to support our journalism, make a difference, and get an enormous benefit yourself. So go check it out today. All right. Have a great night. God bless you. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bike. You and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive 
member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe.